0: Second Peter three, last chapter, probably a couple of weeks, and then we'll be going somewhere else. Let's read uh, the first thirteen verses just to get an idea of where we'll be for the next couple of weeks. Second Peter chapter three, verse one. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which... The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the first half of chapter three or the first part of chapter three. So we're moving to a new section. What we've seen in Second Peter, we looked in Chapter One at the past, where uh, Peter talks about the truth about true conversion and the, what sanctification would look like in the true convert, the process of going through progressive sanctification, and uh, says, therefore, make sure uh, make your calling and election sure. Uh, Chapter 2, that that was the past. Chapter 2 is the present, and all the false teachers that we looked at. Beware of the false teachers that have risen among you, he says. Uh, And it's sort of a spirit-led litany of uh, the defilements and the dangers of the false teachers. Uh, And now he's going to a little more to the future, the, the day of the Lord, the end, when all of this age is over and these elements will be burned, and a new heaven and a new earth uh, will be will appear will be come. And uh, yes, he's looking to the future, and these scoffers are going to come scoffing. But he's also talking about the present; they're already there in the church. And if they were already there in the church and they're going to be there at the end, they're in our churches and in our time. These scoffers who are scoffing at the word of God. Um, We'll look at something in a minute. But anyway, that's kind of what Peter does. He's got three sections broken exactly into three chapters. The past, our conversion. Uh, He talks then the present of the church being invaded by false teaching, and now these scoffers uh, that are scoffing at the second coming, at the final coming of the Lord Jesus. And so he turns from chapter 2, the false teachers, to verse 1. He turns to addressing his beloved. He uses beloved uh, in verse 1. Let's see, verse 8. He talks, he uses the beloved. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you're awaiting. Verse 15, he talks to, he uses the word beloved again. And then verse 17, he'll use it. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Uh, So these folks are dear to him. Uh and he does not want them to be taken captive by the false teaching that is uh, in the churches, that is around, and it's the same here, right? we got to beware. We have to beware. They're not uh, going to come to us in, in, in black clothes and uh, scary faces. They're going to come to us looking just like the rest of us. People that uh, maybe at one time were faithful are no longer faithful. We have to, but Peter's concern here is that the beloved folks would stay strong. Uh, we close chapter two with the dog returning to his vomit, with the pig who returns to the mud after he's washed off, and now he comes back again to these beloved and yet he bridges the gap between the two. He's making this contrast between the false prophets and his beloved saints. But he's also bridging it that they disobey the holy commandment. He calls us as Christians to uh, abide by the commandment that came from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's turned off by the false prophets. He's really turned on by his friends, these uh, beloved ones that he is addressing and reminds them of the words and the commands from the prophets and the apostles. Um, the false teachers are questioning the Word of God, uh, and Peter's going to walk through historically some of the uh, proofs that God's Word is true. Uh, Chapter 2, again, the theme is the power of God to judge uh, uh, and save despite appearances to the contrary. It doesn't look like. It looks like the evil side is getting away with murder. Uh, In some cases, they almost actually are. They all are. But God is still sure to judge in chapter 2. In chapter 3, it's his promise, he will return. God will send his son, though it doesn't look like it. Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, it's been so long. And so if, uh, uh, if Jesus' delay, as we talked about before, if his delay was an issue, as Peter's writing, 40 years or so after the resurrection and the ascension, How much more 2,000 years afterwards are people skeptical that the Lord will fulfill his promise and return? And so that's what he's trying to address here for us in chapter 3, verse the first two verses. In the second letter I'm writing, beloved, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by reminder. He's not teaching them something that they don't know. He's reminding them of what they already know, that you should remember the prediction of the prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And here's he going, here he goes into what he wants to, t- to point out to them, knowing this, first of all. Oh, if we read all the way through chapter 3, we don't see a second of all. He doesn't give us a second point, really. This is, he's saying, primary. This is a primary, primary and important thing that I'm teaching you. It's, it's uh, preeminent. Uh, first of all, uh, he's about to say something very important, so you pay attention. We need to pay attention to it. He reminds them, uh, uh, giving them reminders to uh, have this pure, this sincere thinking, to think rightly, knowing He says, knowing, first of all, primarily, most importantly, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. They need to understand something. We need to understand. We need to be on our guard Uh, that uh, this danger is already in Peter's time, and it's in our time, and it will be in all time until the Lord Jesus returns. These naysayers, these false teachers, these prophets, and he says in the last days, uh, this is going to happen. These scoffers are coming. When does the last days start? When? At the ascension. There you are, Werner. I didn't see you a minute ago. <laughs> Okay, at the ascension. So the last days is not some day that's going to be down in the future somewhere near the end of time when these scoffers will appear. The scoffers appear in the last days, and they're already here, and Peter is saying their scoffers will come scoffing. Uh, Verse 5 tells us they deliberately overlook this fact. They're already deliberately overlooking this fact. So these scoffers are there, and they're asking the question. They're not going to come and ask, where's Jesus coming? They're they're asking right now, right then. Where is the promise of his coming? They're scoffing at the promises uh, of God. Uh, So they're deliberately overlooking something. Verse 3, following their own sinful desires, Knowing, first of all, that the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Where's the promise of his coming? And they're deliberately overlooking something. The fact that uh, uh, they know the truth and they're overlooking the assurance that God will do what he said he's going to do. And so, Peter assumes uh, we're in the la- he's in the last days. Paul assumes he's in the last days. God in these last days, the Hebrew author says, uh, has spoken to us through the Son. So, uh, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the age in which we live. Daniel. Daniel says. Uh, this ruler who is to come will speak words against the Most High, will wear out the saints of the Most High, and will think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time uh, through the church age, through this period of time between the two uh, comings of Christ. And so the hallmark period The hallmark of the period is rejection of God's word. They're going to minimize the truth of God's word. These scoffers are scoffing. And Peter says, don't pay attention to them. Notice they're following their own sinful desires. They have their own wants. They have their own desires. They have their own pleasures. uh, And they're justifying Their teaching is justifying their sin, their indulgences. Uh, And they raise questions about points of theology that condemn them. Peter's already said they're experts in greed. Uh, They're uh, mists driven by the storm, waterless springs. They're useless, slaves of corruption. Uh, One of the commentators says they have delicate qualms in posing courageous questions about the more difficult elements of Christian teaching. they um, You can see it today where they cast themselves as so very compassionate to everybody. Delicate qualms. They ask questions about technical points Of or difficult elements of a Christian teaching, but they're driven by greed. They're driven by disobedience. It's not sophisticated compassion that is driving them. It's sin, driven by their own sinful desires. That's what their motivations are, seeking to justify that. I don't think I brought the papers that I was looking at earlier today. Um, Has uh, uh, anybody uh, listened? What? Oh, that's right. Don't worry. It's all right, Bruce. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's my man, right? Um, Anybody heard of Flamey Grant? Huh, no, you missed that. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> Flamy Grant her song uh, i should uh, I don't know where to say his or her song. I don't know which to call the uh, is a crossdresser whose Christian song is number one on the charts in Apple Music. You haven't heard of Flaming. Um, sad to say, one of the cohorts in producing the video is from a group that we used to really like in the late 90s, uh, uh, Cademan's Call. One of those fellows is part of this group. and they, You talk about scoffing. Uh, God and His promises and His Word. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Boys will be girls. That's the name of one of their songs. Christian music, CCM. I know we don't deal with that ourselves, but I'd say I would say. Guide your children. It's on Apple Music. Or maybe it's iTunes. Maybe it's iTunes. Number one song in Christian music. We've come a long way, baby, and, and, and we better be prepared because the scoffers are not going to go away and the pressure is not going to come. The goal is to become part of mainstream of the Christian music scoffers come scoffing and uh, they're in uh, verse 3 following their own sinful desires presenting themselves as leaders of uh, a movement if you will they're nothing but followers I remember you may remember when you weren't a Christian You thought you were doing your own thing. You thought you were living according to the way you wanted to live. And you were just a puppet on a string as Satan was having his way with you. And your sinful desires were the motivations of your life. That's where these are. And yet they're teaching, presenting themselves as Christians and Christian teachers. Peter says, "Watch out! Watch out!" Verse four. They will say, "Where is the promise of his coming?" So they ask a question: "Where is the promise of his coming? What? What? What's the delay? What's the holdup?" And then, um, then they give an answer or. Uh, Peter responds to the question, if you will. First, where is the promise of his coming? And here's the basis for that question. For ever since the fathers fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Um, So... Peter is going to respond to the question. Where's the promise of his coming? He lays out the question and the reason for all things. He's going to answer the motivation first, and then he'll answer the question. So verses 5 through 7, he answers. When, when, it's, when uh, they're saying all things uh, continue just like they have since creation, they show themselves to be ignorant of life, right? Right? and certainly biblically illiterate, don't they? Is everything going on the same since creation? Well, Peter's going to show it's not. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What does he mean, fathers? who are the fathers who fell asleep? Hmm? yeah patriarchs old testament saints most likely but these fathers ever since they fell asleep all things are going on the same since creation um jesus has changed nothing nothing's really changed since jesus came things are the same as the old testament oh well when our fathers died but even going back farther, they're the same since they were from the beginning of creation. How have things changed since the beginning of creation? Nothing? <laughs> the Okay, the flood. I mean, sin came, right? Since the beginning of creation, sin has come. All things are the same. No, they're not. These folks are are showing themselves to be illiterate. They're showing themselves to be false teachers. Just in this first instance that he gives here, all things are not the same. Much has changed. Verse 5, they deliberately overlook this fact. Somebody have a different version? What else does it say besides deliberately overlooked? That's not what all the versions say. Is it? Says they're, willingly. they're willingly ignorant. They suppress what? This fact. They suppress this fact. So this is not just... These folks are doing the best they can do to get the word right. We're all trying to understand the word, right? And understanding it better and better as we're sanctified and we're growing in Christ. These folks, this isn't, it's not because they don't understand. It's because they do understand and they're deliberately overlooking the truth and are motivated by their sinful desires to defend their sinful conduct. And then he goes, and they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. There's the first point. The, the word of God created, the word and water was used to create uh, this creation. Um God created by speaking. Let there be light. There was light. His word created. uh, And the continuing existence of our world shows that uh, God's word is dependable. God is continuing to speak. And this creation continues to be in existence. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts... And so God's means of creation was his word. Uh, His uh, agent of creation is this water, he says. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Um, And the result was the heavens and the earth. The false teachers are deliberately overlooking this. Let me see uh, coming out of the water, standing out of the water when yeah, and in the water, uh, okay, sure, uh-huh. uh, There came a point where I asked him to come and sit down so I could share some things with him out of the scripture about this circumstance. And and he just looked at me and said, no. No. I don't want to hear it. I already know. All I want to know, I know too much. I don't want to be responsible for it. Yeah. Happy in his (laughs) ignorance. Yeah. Okay. Tried to tell him. You tried to say. And yet... They don't want to know. No, that's okay. Uh, That's that's all right. So um, they're they're deliberately overlooking it. We can overlook things we know. So Peter says, I need to remind you over and over. I'm about to be gone, remember? Peter, this is his swan song. He's He's going away. And he says, I need to remind you of what I've been teaching you. And so we can—we need to be reminded <laughs> we're dangerously forgetful. Uh, I think it's Dick Lucas again says, the effort the false teachers make to ensure that they deliberately forget should be surpassed by the effort the Christians make to remember they're working hard to forget we need to work even harder to remember what we know and not just remember it but also apply it then he goes to the next verse verse 6 and that by means of these and we'll look and see if we can figure out what these are the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So, of course, talking about the flood, um, the disobedience, of course, of Adam and Eve kind of reached its its climax in Noah's day, right? Uh, the wickedness of man was great in the earth every... Uh, Intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually just before he calls Noah to build the ark. And he says, Peter says, by means of these, what we talked about in the passage ahead, the word and the water. He's tying the word and the water by means of the word and the water, both agents for destroying the the world in Noah's day. And then we'll get to the next example, and the word and fire will destroy the world at the end. But the word is common to all three of these illustrations he gives. In creation, he creates by his word. By the word and water, he destroys the world in Noah's day. And by the word and fire, he will destroy and bring the new heaven, this earth, this uh, world that we know, and uh, bring the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, the water, which was the agent of God's uh, creative word, becomes then his agent of his judicial word, his word of judgment that comes. And uh, by the water and the word, the world of that time was deluged deluged, and perished. Uh, Chapter 2-5, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah... Uh, that's in that series of of events that he is proving that God is able to judge the world and protect his people. Well, he's already alluded to the fact that the flood uh, will, is a warning for future judgment, and now so he links the destiny of Noah, uh, the people of Noah's day, not Noah and his family, but all the rest of the people... He's linking them to the final destruction that the false teachers will experience. Uh, If God's creative word is stable and immovable, so is his word of judgment. So verse 7 comes, but by that same word or by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the flood, he says, was an early warning sign of the final judgment, uh, the final uh, destruction that would come, what will happen in the future. Uh, and it's the same word that does this, as he says there. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up. Where's the promise of his coming? Judgment's not coming. Well, the heavens and the earth that we know, they are stored up. They're in storage, and they are being kept, reserved by God. They have a reservation for final destruction. Uh, So very often, we have a hard time with God's timing. Right. What's the holdup? Why am I still experiencing this? Uh, and you know, Paul had to talk to the Thessalonians. They thought they they were being taught Jesus had already come. Just have a problem with God's timing. He ought to act the way we think he ought to act, and when he ought to, when he needs to act. They're stored up, they're reserved, and there will be a day of judgment. And when that day of judgment comes, the ungodly will be destroyed. And Peter's saying, as sure as creation, as sure as the flood, as sure as Sodom and Gomorrah once existed and no longer exists, there will be a day of judgment. Count on it. And the ungodly will be destroyed. The, the, that's talking to the delay. He goes from flood in the second illustration to fire here and uh the day of judgment, men and women will be judged by Christ's standards. And those failing to meet the standards of living, if you will, uh, will be declared ungodly. Same as those in Noah's day, same as those in Sodom and Gomorrah, those who are deemed ungodly will face destruction. And, And jumping to verse 11... Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, and well, we haven't seen the dissolution of this world, what sort of people ought you to be in, the li- in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting and hastening. We'll look at that next week. What sort of people ought we to be? Anytime Paul writes about the return of Christ. There's a therefore. Peter has a therefore. Here's the coming day of judgment. The believers will be delivered. The ungodly will be destroyed. Therefore. Therefore, how are you going to live? How ought we believers? I mean, the day's closer than when you were saved. If you're saved, the day's much closer than yesterday. In particular, if you're not saved, the judgment will be coming. Who knows when? It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10,000 years from now, but judgment's coming. And you don't know if you have tomorrow. Tomorrow. But what kind of people ought we believers to be? Going to flamey Grant concerts? Or are we going to be pursuing holiness as best we know in God's strength and God's power? And representing the transformational power of the gospel where we go each day. Um, where's the sign of his coming? What's the holdup? Verse 8. But do not overlook this. They're overlooking what they know, right? The false teachers. So they can justify what they want. You believers, do not overlook this fact. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So we get all kinds of, you got your calculator out. Are you calculating something there with uh, a day is a thousand years? Uh, You know, I remember that we had it, we had it all figured out. Because the seven days of creation equals 7,000 years. And that's how long this world, world was going to be. And at the end of 6,000 years, the church was going to be raptured away for seven years and then come back and we're going to have a 1,000 more years and in the end, see, there's your 7,000 years. Just right, right? Well, that's not what Peter's saying. That's not the point here. God's timing... Time has no bearing. God's timing is not on a calculator or a calendar. He knows when it's going to happen. He's got it. Uh, uh, He's got the day set, and it's reserved for judgment. Nobody can change that. But do not overlook this fact that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. See, God God just ought to have already come. The world's bad. And it's particularly bad in America, so it must be the end of the world. You know, uh, 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 it's just getting harder for us, right? Never mind that Christians around the world have been suffering every day. It's getting bad for us because uh I don't know, gas is three fifty or three twenty I don't even know what it is. It changes every day. I don't know what that's about. But still, we just I mean, you know, it's just uh God, hurry up. Huh? It's getting uncomfortable. Yes. For some, they need to be very thankful that God is slow by their accounting. Because why is He delaying? He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, Um, does that mean that some people are going to perish that God desires to be saved? I don't know about the desires. <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> He's not going to come till the last chosen one is saved, that's for sure. But how do we deal with this passage? that said God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Here's how I deal with it, to stay consistent with the whole text, okay? And you can argue with in yourself. You know, we saw last week that Jesus can know what we're thinking. He knew what the Pharisee was thinking to himself. Well, I can't, so you just think away. I won't know the difference. But here's how I deal with it. Verse uh, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. So we've got to figure out who is you. He's not patient. He's patient toward you. And so who is you? Let's keep going for a minute. Not wishing that any should perish. Um, let me ask you this. As you're here tonight, do you have any? I don't hear anybody. Do you have any? <laughs> yeah. Huh? No, do you have any? You got to say, any what? any what? Right? Do you have any? He's not, he, not willing that, uh, he, he's patient toward you, not wishing that any, does that mean any person? It doesn't say any person. And so, in our Bible study method, we're going to do find the nearest antecedent, the nearest noun. We got to know any of who or any of what. Any doesn't help us, right? And so, not willing that any should perish. Okay, any of who? Who's he talking to here? The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Oh, okay. Verse 8, do not overlook this fact. Beloved. Who's beloved by God? Go back up to verse 1. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you. Beloved. And so the Lord is not willing that any of His beloved would perish but that all does the Lord just desiring for every person to be saved? All of His beloved. beloved. He's not willing that any should perish but all of His beloved should reach repentance. There's why He hasn't come back yet. All the beloved have not been saved. All the chosen have not been redeemed. So he's patient. And we count it, or people count it, man, he's tardy. Doesn't he know? Well, he knows. He does know. We don't we're willfully ignorant sometimes don't don't do not overlook this one fact verse 8 beloved that the, with the lord one day is a thousand years a thousand years is one day he the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you beloved not wishing that any beloved should perish but that all beloved should come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Um, we buy all of our security systems We do the best we can. It doesn't stop thieves. They're always one step ahead of any technology that comes around. The Lord's going to come like a thief. He's not going to come as a thief. He's going to come like one in the still of the night. He's going to come when we're least expecting it. Right? and then the heavens will pass away with a roar the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed all the works will be exposed since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to live in godliness in in to, ought to be in lives of holiness What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? There it is. Waiting for and hastening. We'll start right there next week. How do we hurry the day of the Lord? I don't know. We'll find out next week. Hastening the day. But we're waiting. And we're not waiting sitting on our sofas. We're not waiting going up on top of a mountain. We're waiting as we continue to serve the Lord with gladness of heart. To find the ones ones who haven't been saved yet. To share the gospel with them. Okay? We're going to stop. It's 5 till whoever's, the ladies will be pleased that we can visit and start on time in here. And and we'll go back to the, the guys will go back to the room back there. Any comments, any questions? Yeah, I can't read your thoughts, so it's okay if you don't like the way I look at that passage, but it seems to me the only way to make it work, that God is not going to be disappointed at the end that some people didn't get saved. Yes, sir.
1: Not willing that any should
0: perish, but all that he has given Jesus would not perish, right? In in John, we are given the, the the description of the all. Peter doesn't give it, so context, we have to search the context to find who all is. Father, we thank you that you have, Proving yourself faithful to your promises. Lord, we thank you that by your spirit you inspired Peter to write to us. To write to these Christians and leave for us and preserve for us your word. Of the progression that the false teachers have taken. And how it is that we might combat it with the truth. Of your word, Lord, we desire so badly to be people of the book of your word. Thank you for the desire you plant within us to know it and to know you through it. Forgive us for the laziness, of the, the the hearts that are prone to wander. And thank you for your spirit who convicts as we do wonder and brings us back. Lord, help us to remember that there are those who need to be saved. Use us, we pray, in your kingdom. And in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.